0: Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest today is Natalie Gordon, founder and CEO of BabyList. BabyList is a baby registry and e-commerce platform that combines content, commerce, and data to serve millions of expecting and new parents. We chat about why Natalie decided to start BabyList when she just became a new mother, how reading the Lean Startup impacted her decision-making, to solving the chicken and egg problem of marketplaces, finding product market fit, and her unique approach to partnerships with brands. Without further ado, here's Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today on The Consumer VC. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. It's so great to be here, Mike.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So talk to me a little bit about the beginning. What was the initial insight that led you to found BabyList?
1: I love that question. Um, It was 11 years ago. The reason I know it was 11 years ago is because I have an 11-year-old. And my son is now playing Roblox, like he's he's eleven. But when I was pregnant with him, I, I was expecting him. I was creating my own baby registry. I was getting ready for my own baby shower. And it was like that very classic moment. There must be a better way. I was going through the experience. I knew I was not going to find everything in one store. At that time, that was Babies R Us. And knew I wanted things at some independent stores. Also, the car seat, the stroller, the baby carrier. Also, we there were some things that were incredibly important to our family. Um, people contributing a month of a diaper service was incredibly important to us. Someone actually coming over and walking our German Shepherd at 7 a.m., for the first couple of weeks was incredibly meaningful to us. And so that was really the inspiration for BabyList. It was this better baby registry that works across retailer and lets you ask for like the things and the things that are like not actual products, but are deeply meaningful to families. And so I actually, my background's in software engineering. I'm a, a software developer. I had been an engineer at Amazon for about four years. I had worked on another startup in the language learning space for about a year and that wasn't going that well. And I had the idea for BabyList and then it was around the time of um, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. And I read that book kind of towards the end of this language learning startup. And I was like, oh, this is like so clear, like everything I did wrong and what I would do if I could do it all again. And so following that method, really got to this minimal viable product and launched it within two weeks of actually having my son. And then it was something that just grew from there. Slow and steady for that first year. And then um, once I moved to it full time, just bigger and bigger and bigger until we're here 11 years later.
0: Amazing. Amazing. I mean, what was also it like starting a business, going through also that phase in life too, when you're just about to have your first child? There's a ton going on. Obviously, you could understand like the pain point that you were experiencing, but would love to just kind of also you know, get into a little bit about why it was so important for you at that time to start BabyList. If that makes sense.
1: It was really important to me, um, I think in a really emotional way. It's not like it was something that was taking away. It was something that during this very kind of isolating, <laughs> lonely time when I had a newborn at home, things were very hard. I had this like very interesting intellectual thing that I was creating that I got to work on. For a number of months, I had a goal where if I could work on it for 45 minutes in a day, that was a successful day. I could do the customer service that needed to be done. Maybe fix one bug, maybe send out one email to a blog to talk about baby list. Just like very small aspirations, day by day. But what it actually meant to me, it was hugely significant to me at that time of life uh, because it is hard. I was home with a newborn. At some point, maybe six months after my son was born, I hired a babysitter. With the money baby list was making and then I would walk around the, the corner and work in a coffee shop for two and a half hours while she watched my son and then I would come home again. And so it really did just like ramp up during that first year in a way that was so meaningful to me and actually very complimentary to that life stage.
0: That's really, really impressive too. I just can't even imagine, you know, being at home, having to take care of your newborn, and as well as starting this new business, which obviously um, has done incredible. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur?
1: No, it was, I don't even think it was something I could consider or imagine. I never thought that was a path for me. I couldn't even picture it. Maybe things are different now with. Shows like Shark Tank or maybe more podcasts. But it was something that uh, I never thought, oh, I'll be the founder of a company. And I never thought I would be the CEO of a company this size. And it takes a lot to stick at something for 11 years. And actually, I got really lucky in the audience that I chose to build this business for. Because people who are becoming parents are phenomenal to be able to serve every day. It is the most inspiring audience to write content and build products for, um, people who are welcoming a baby, having this incredibly significant life stage, and all of the people that really want to support this family.
0: What was your method to actually build an audience uh, from scratch? Um, what, was, what was that process like?
1: Yeah, I, I, when I'm asked that question, it's like there were different eras and then what worked in one era was not that important to the next era. So when someone very early stage is asking me for advice, I can give what worked in the early stage 10 years ago, but which it might be very different than what's working for us right now. I would say at launch, using this lean startup method, before we had actually launched, I had emailed, I believe it was 10 pregnancy blogs or parenting blogs um, specifically with like a very personal tailored email saying take a look at this registry that has picks that I think you would have chosen Um, and I believe at launch maybe five of them actually like wrote about baby list out of the gate and so that was I would say that was year one it was like that hustle We had a very significant inflection point a couple of years after that. Real success with Pinterest as they were opening up their paid advertising channel. If you think about BabyList, it actually works quite a lot like Pinterest. We were able to get a lot of traction with a lot of our fantastic content on Pinterest. And so that was a significant way that we could scale. And then I think now... Everyone's gone to a baby shower, that used baby list. And that viral component is so important. And I always knew that it was there even 10 years ago, but now it's something that's completely quantifiable and part of our model, as well as just the, I'd say, at scale, great performance marketing.
0: When did you decide that you needed to raise venture capital and what was the reason, what was that process like for you?
1: I love that question. We've really had a less traditional path. And I like talking about our funding because I think it's a really good example to founders and entrepreneurs. Um, We've never really needed to raise capital. There have been a couple of times in our company history where we've chosen to raise venture capital. We raised a seed round coming out of the 500 Startups Accelerator Program program about nine years ago, raised from a strategic and then raised our $40 million round in fall 2021. I would say for almost every year of our business, we have been profitable and we've had this like very um, sustainable, profitable business. And even us raising the Series C in fall 2021, the goal is that we still maintain that that we still really are building this business that we what we're doing is sustainable, what we're doing is for the the long term.
0: That's really helpful. Since you've been profitable for seems like the entirety or close to the entirety of Babylist. Was that ever like an issue for investors? And I mean that because Investors are so kind of grow, 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 growth minded, and you know, let's think about profitability maybe way later. Was that that ever come up as maybe like an issue for you, or not really?
1: Yeah, it would come up as complete confusion. It was like we don't know who to compare you to. Like that, we've also really been growing as well as being profitable. It's it's like very confusing. It's like when's your payback period? Like what's your your burn rate? And we're like. No, here like let us educate you on our business model I think th- something really interesting when you're talking to VC and I can say this with someone I- I've run this business for 11 years I understand our business model I have some insights on what works and what doesn't work and you talk to an investor and they really do understand businesses across domains and have all of that. And I do think that entrepreneurs can really get in trouble if they take that advice in an unfiltered way without really saying like what would actually work for this business, not what's wishful thinking for this business. And so I think that's something that's come for me There's a level of confidence after having run this business to really put things through that filter where there's a lot of very valuable insight that investors are seeing on their end. But it's really important to know what's gonna work for this business now.
0: No, totally. Do you remember ever getting any like point of views from investors who just weren't, you know, educated or quite know of baby list that you thought that actually wouldn't work? That definitely would not work in our line of business?
1: I would say this last round of fundraising. I met incredible people, women with two-month-olds, um, pretty much everyone had actually used List either as a registrant or a gift giver, which felt fantastic. There are certain ideas, there's spreadsheet ideas. It's like, wouldn't it be better if we had like a longer LTV? And it's like, of course that would be better. <laughs> like, you're, you're right. It's completely correct. And then I'd be like... But do you see like all the value we're providing for people like up until having the baby and like here is how we extend that lifetime and and we really do into parenthood. And so ideas would come like that. Like, oh, like wouldn't it be great to turn this into a diaper subscription? And I think that could be a great idea for someone else's business. It would be, be like... Of course, but like that—that's not going to work with like what we do. And so, I actually appreciate that energy and advice. I, I do think it's up to the the entrepreneur to to have the right filter for it. Going back even to your question about investors being confused by the profitability now, profitable companies are in vogue. <laughs> we we knew were really into being profitable before it was before it was cool. <laughs>
0: What were some of the moments that you look back that you think were like actually huge unlocks for your business, and maybe were not obvious at the time, or obvious, or obvious?
1: I think that one was when we really chose to invest in our content, and you you mentioned our content, and I said actually it wasn't there from the very beginning, and the way we actually launched it, we had a fantastic intern. And she did a user survey with our users about their favorite products and then turned that into kind of the very first version of like best diaper pails, best baby bottles, these guides. And this was at a time when what you would find in the internet would be a a 27 slide, slide show on best strollers. So not very helpful. And the goal at that time, I think, really was content marketing. So uh, this is a way to do content marketing it's how we're going to be introduced to our audience but I actually feel like the combination of this content plus commerce and audience has actually been so critical to us getting to this stage um, in terms of our core user experience so when you're Going through this experience, we actually are the most helpful source to make all these product decisions. And that's something I hear all the time from our users and to how we're able to work with partners because we really have that trust. It really was critical to moving us past just being this tool to being really influential and really helping on this other level. Another was this was small and I think is something that we've been able to really scale up in the past year and have big ambitions for it in the future. We're great at helping you make these product decisions. We know this audience. We have a lot of data. And we knew bottles were this very high consideration category. Giving someone a bottle is actually not a great gift. And so we brought to market the baby list bottle box. And it's five of the top-rated bottles in one giftable package, so you can actually try out your bottles. What we're hearing from parents is, how like, how am I going to know what bottle my baby prefers? And so you try it out, and then you can actually buy the whole set. And um, our, our merchant, who's still with us um, here at BabyList, when we initially talked about it, she was like, none of these brands want to be in a box with other, with, like, competitors – And I was like, well, just like get them on the phone. And she's brilliant. And I think in the initial phone call got like four out of five yeses because everyone genuinely thinks they have the best bottle. They're just like, bring it. So I think for us, like this was really proving we could make things that weren't great gifts, great gifts. We could really extend our value proposition of helping you find the right products for your family, like actually to life and like bring something to life that didn't exist.
0: I really loved how you were able to kind of convince brands to actually participate in the bottle box, that psyche of, well, if you think you really do have the best bottle, why wouldn't you want to be in (laughs) a bottle box, right? (laughs) That's genius. And I also love that because I know definitely firsthand that when you receive just one bottle, it's like, it doesn't feel that great of a gift, but if it's actually wrapped up and packaged in a box and you can actually feel and get a sense of, okay, this is actually very useful because then for my baby, I know which bottle is actually going to work for for him or her. That's awesome. And I loved that you pointed out this kind of content plus commerce and how you're able to figure out that piece, which obviously, I mean, you can totally understand a huge unlock for uh, for your business there. I mean, w- within, we'd love to dig into that a little bit more because obviously, what you're curating and why BabyList, even though you're purchased online, you're, you're buying real physical products, right? You're never going to be able to touch or, or have like a sense of touch or, or able to experience a product unless you obviously go into a store. How do you think as well about bringing that experience, the buying instead of clicking experience per se, online so that maybe you have like a pretty good idea in terms of what you're getting?
1: So we've kind of approached that in a real channel strategy. Our thesis around really the video production we've done for YouTube is we want you to find that YouTube video that's this stroller versus that stroller or that's giving you all of the specs on a specific car seat. We want you to be able to watch this video that's less than five minutes and we want you to understand that product, the pros and the cons. Because all products have cons, not everything's right for your family. We want you to understand why it might not work and really have that editorial angle. We want it to be better. Like when you watch that video, you understand that stroller better than if you actually saw it in a store. I think when we look at, there's different types of, when we look at um, email and maybe like more of the fun products it's actually much more about discovery. So it's about, like, I didn't even realize that this product existed. And this is so interesting. This is aspirational. This is inspirational. That has a bit of a different bent. We're actually really interested also in what is BabyList? What's the baby list experience in real life? And so in January, we had a pop-up in LA. It was called BabyList Cribs. And it was phenomenal. And if you just think about the registry experience... It's a life stage, almost like going to buy my wedding dress. Like it's something that everyone's going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to make all these product decisions And it feels like there should be some way to do that. I'd say closer to a showroom than a store where I can make 50 product decisions, probably 15 of which are very high consideration, and feel really confident in my decisions. And so Cribs was kind of that first time that we explored that. And there's a virtual version of it now online, so you can actually experience what that was like virtually. And I I will... I'm excited about how this is going to continue to grow in the future.
0: No, totally, and I I love the fact that it's also virtual. You also started um, creating your own products because I mean you're kind of shifting then from kind of curated different brands to your own brands. Was that business strategically? Was that a difficult shift to do in your business?
1: That was when I talked you through the babyless bottle box. That was our very first foray into that. Highly successful in that it was great for brands, great for users, great business model. Uh, that's something that we have been able to extend over this past year. Um, I believe we launched a baby less pacifier box, a baby less swaddle box, and so for us as we bring products to market, there are three three things that I really think uh, are important and that are real advantages. One is we have this incredible data. So we understand what this category looks like across retailers because people are adding items from just across retailers where we're able to know much more about what people are actually asking for and purchasing outside of what we're directly selling. We also, in everything we do, having this very high level of trust with our users is the number one thing. When we don't have that, then I think that... It'll be very bad to our overall business and overall brand. Trust is the most important thing. Um, and the other thing is we really want to take things that are not great gifts, and we have this opportunity to make them incredible gifts because what we do is all around this gifting experience to this new family.
0: What has been your approach from the very beginning when it comes to building out the babyless team as you've expanded through 11 years?
1: This so is something that I really struggled with at the very beginning. It, it was hard for me to tell people why they wanted to work at BabyList. It was even hard for me to define roles. It, I would say like at that very bootstrap stage when you're five people, ten people, it was incredibly difficult. Now, kind of in a, in a fast forward way where this has just become more and more of the case, we, we have a consumer brand that people really now have experience. So when I'm interviewing people, they're very familiar with what we do. And I think also when we're talking to people about joining the company, um, there really is this like values element to it. We're serving families. We consider ourselves an anti-racist organization. Something that actually is quite authentic to our culture is we have pretty good work-life balance. And that even starts with me And that came from a really, I remember sitting in a conference room and thinking about like selling the business. This is quite early on because I felt burnt out. I was like, actually, it's better for the business itself if I make my work much more sustainable. So I do this for longer. And it really was this shift in us really encoding that like work-life balance was important to us. People don't get emails on the weekends, people have their evenings, and can still be very successful here. And out of that, in a way that I did not foresee, it's just helped us attract incredible talent. And they're at this place in their lives where they have a ton of experience, they want to join a startup that's very interesting, and they're at a life stage where they're really valuing that balance. And so it's actually helped us recruit amazing leaders, amazing team members across the board in, I think, in a really fantastic way.
0: That's awesome. I would love to kind of hear more about that point in time where maybe you almost sold or were thinking about selling baby lists and you were burnt out and you realized that you maybe needed to have some distance or, or have a you know, work-life balance per se uh, between baby lists and obviously your life. What were some of the changes that you made to, to kind of give you that space? Because when I talk to entrepreneurs, I think that sometimes it's really hard for them to actually give themselves even time to actually uh, have that space per se. So how did you then structure, I guess, work-life balance in your own terms?
1: I can, I can name some tactical things, but I would say that the, the thing that I know about myself, and I guess not just through this part of my career, through my entire career, is I know what it feels like when I'm burnt out. I know what my body feels like I know what it feels like then if I take a weekend off. And so I'm pretty self-aware about where I am in terms of my energy level. And I really think about it in terms of managing my own energy. Because when I manage my own energy, I'm able to like actually show up better. I'm able to lead that meeting better. I'm able to make that decision better. And so I, I would start with that. In terms of tactics, there was a time in the company history where I really felt quite burnt out. And like once a month I would take Wednesday off. And like, like it was that small. It literally is that small and it would be really meaningful. I actually uh, try, I, I don't work in the evenings. I know about myself too, that I just have this diminishing level of results after a certain hour, I just get really dumb. And so I just stop and I know what it feels like again the next morning. That's not to say I also, if I am going to do extra hours, I would do it on a Saturday morning. And so I just, I actually think about it in terms of managing my own energy and being self-aware to know when I'm the most effective.
0: Gosh, that is... So well put, and I really love that a lot. Just thinking about managing your own energy—that's something that I've been thinking about a lot for myself. And kind of like even when I think about like my diet or just different things, like what actually is given me energy versus not. Especially being like a new dad, and so like I always just think about things in terms much more in terms of like energy. So I very much can relate in a very very small way to that side of things. What has been the result with the pandemic on? BabyLess, what was kind of going through your head personally and professionally during like March, 2020? And and how are you thinking about your business?
1: I had run this business for 10 years and I knew everything about our users. I understood how baby showers worked. I understood how baby registries worked. I understood all of the social dynamics. And with COVID, I felt like I understood absolutely nothing. And I had no idea what our users were doing. I had no, I felt like I actually lost that real thread to like what actually drove our business. We saw it a couple weeks earlier. There was a very, I have a very visceral memory of our leadership team, all sitting in a conference room, all breathing each other's air, um, but actually saying, this is coming. What does it mean to our users? What does it mean to our vendors? What does it mean to our team members? and actually having that conversation. Um, but the key thing was, I've, I was really worried. It was, my worry was our product is um, is tied to this physical real world event. So this real world event with many people, sometimes a hundred people with your grandma, with this pregnant mom, like th- this event is gonna be the event that does not happen during a pandemic. And so people aren't going to need a baby registry. So we kind of took that whole first month. That was also the year we were going to learn about physical retail. So we put a pin in, in a lot of things right away. And our entire team, who ha- we have a ton of team members with kids and young kids. We're all at home. We made the right decisions for our team. I was so proud of our team continuing to function. But it was really, we need to learn what's happening. And we need to understand what's actually changed for our users. And if you really think about like what content and audience and community means to us, we were also, we had this very engaged audience and they were going through a pandemic and they were about to give birth. And so our team like was also able to absolutely write the best content for our users who are going through this time. How to have a virtual baby shower, like what is gonna happen in the hospital In this pandemic, like what's changed? Like how do you have virtual birthing classes? And so our team really responded in this incredibly audience-centric way. What we really did see coming out of March, like a lot of online retailers did, was this huge tailwind. It was, I think, driven because people wanted to be more helpful to the families who were having babies, people I think were more likely to get you things you really needed from your registry. People were more likely to buy them online. And so this gift giving actually increased. And when we look at all of our engagement metrics, they all actually went up to like new levels that we had never seen before. And so I would say for The rest of 2020, it was really about our team just hanging on (laughs) to this growth we were seeing while everyone was at home, kind of dealing with like everything we were all dealing with with our individual
0: families. What is one thing that you would change about Venture Capital?
1: I think Venture Capital is great. I think the thing I would change is probably outside of Venture Capital. I think with Venture Capital, that announcement... Of we raised money from this investor. It it you get the PR from it, you get the hiring bump from it, you get invited to the conferences, like it really is this external signifier that you are a hot company, you know what's going on, you're gonna be a great business, or you already are a great business. And like I think all of that, all of that's great. Um, I would say as really the company that was the bootstrapped company, (laughs) like you're, you're making money, you're getting bigger, like that actual, the substance is really there. I think just having a place actually where we celebrate those businesses more, like is actually the thing that I would change.
0: Totally agree, actually. You should be much more encouraged. First of all, like the P word profitability, I think that should be a lot more celebrated. And also like looking at actually revenue and, 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 and seeing how the company's actually performing versus how much money they've they've raised and being kind of oohed and nodded over that. I completely agree with you. What's one book that has inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally?
1: Professionally, I think I read it about a year ago and it was Recommended to me by another CEO, it was No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings about Netflix and their culture. Have you read it?
0: I have not actually.
1: I think when I read it, I think I was like, "Oh, like I'm a pretty good CEO. Like I I know what's going on. I know how to build this business. I, I like we have a good culture." And I read that book, and it was this deep illustration of. How to just have a really strong culture? What are the trade offs? And really, to me, I guess at that time it was like there is an entirely different level of like how I want to grow. Like I, I actually could see this like new level of like what it meant to be a company leader. I would highly recommend it. I, would, I might make that like a professional and personal example. I read up personally. I recently read. Uh, Dear Sugar, it's an online advice column, and there's an anthology, it's by Cheryl Strayed. Um, and it was like absolutely touching, wonderful on all levels. I highly recommend it.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. You know, it's funny, I don't think we've actually had a past guest mention either of these books, so you are very original, Natalie. <laughs> so I'm really, really excited to add these for our book list. My final question to you, well, on advice, what is, what's one piece of advice that you have for founders?
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say for new parents.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That too, that too. (laughs) I could use it, I could use it.
1: (laughs) I think advice I could really give myself, um, and it actually comes from the place of like, not necessarily our like level of success, but it actually comes from like this being such a long game. This has been like a decade plus for me. I really want to continue to learn in this job and lead this company and it actually is that, like, relationships are long, that you're gonna have a chance to make that business decision again. It's really having that long term outlook, I think, has made me a better leader and is something I didn't have at the beginning because I didn't have the context of what 10 years actually feels
0: like. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a lot of fun. Thank
1: you so much, Mike.
0: And there you have it. It was a pleasure chatting with Natalie. I hope you all enjoyed. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.